There's coming the indignation. The wrath of God like this world has never, ever, ever seen or could never even imagine an unprecedented time in human history. Daniel 8, 19 describes it. He said, behold, I am coming to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study of the book of Daniel, and in a message entitled, The Coming Antichrist, we've seen from Daniel chapter 11 that the man of lawlessness will be revealed at a time of great tribulation. His behavior will be like that of the devil who sought to usurp the glory of God and put himself in the place of the Most High. As we pick up today, Dr. Brogy notes that throughout history, seeds of apostasy have been sown. And from 2 Thessalonians, he gives one example that the Apostle Paul noted about a group of Christians who had been told that the day of the Lord had already come and that they had missed it. And although apostasy has always been present, a day is coming after the rapture which will begin what the Bible calls the apostasy. I believe we're in the shadows, but when the church is raptured, it's going to get pitch black. But Jesus will come. And it will be bright as can be. He will rule and reign with a rod of iron for a thousand years. But at the end of that thousand years, as we're going to study, it's going to get dark again. So they thought, oh, we're, we're in the day of the Lord. We, we, we missed the rapture. Paul said, no, impossible. Don't listen to these other letters. He will later say, look, unless this letter has this mark on it, it's not from me. He said, you know, for two reasons. Number one, the apostasy hasn't taken place yet. We've always had apostasy, but there is coming the apostasy, and the seeds are being sown for it in our day. A great falling away worldwide, nor has the man of lawlessness been revealed. And so those two events will happen after the rapture. This one, who, verse 4, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. You may be thinking, how will the Antichrist be able to do that since the temple doesn't exist in our day? Well, let me review with you Daniel 9.27 for a moment. Daniel 9.27 says, and he, the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, that's the nearest antecedent back in verse 26, and he will make a firm covenant with the many, speaking of the Jewish people, if you remember, for one week, it's a week of years, for seven years. But in the middle of the week, in the middle of the seven years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So this is a reference to the coming Antichrist. In plain English, the Antichrist is going to come and make a covenant with the many, with the people of Israel for seven years. And during this seven-year period, in the middle of the seventh year, he is going to break the covenant. Now, if you go to the Jerusalem today, they're on the top of the Temple Mount, 37 acres of property, the most disputed piece of property on the face of the earth. And now beyond dispute, virtually no Orthodox Jews would kick against this. The actual temple did not sit where the Dome of the Rock is, but right next to it, adjacent to it. In either case, I don't know if they'll tear down that dome before the temple's built. The Bible doesn't tell us. But in either case, the temple is going to be rebuilt on top of that temple mount. 
How will it happen? Well, no doubt the man of peace who comes with all kinds of signs, wonders, and miracles will allow it to happen. All I know is that it needs to be done by the middle of the seven years. And as this next slide shows, in the middle of the 70th week, remember the first 69 weeks have been fulfilled. It brought us till Messiah the Prince, April 6, 32 AD. Now we are in the church age. The 70th week will begin when the church age ends, when the church is raptured. And in the middle of the 70th week, the A of D, the abomination of desolation, which Jesus quotes in Matthew 24, 15, he relates it to his second coming. The Antichrist will go into that rebuilt temple and claim to be God. That's what Paul just said. Now you go to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem today. They have remanufactured all the priestly garments, the furniture. There's a group of Orthodox Jews who recognize the biblical truth. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. Now they don't understand yet in their minds that Messiah has come and shed his innocent blood. But they want to reinstitute the animal sacrificial system. And so when the Antichrist says, oh, it comes, you want to build your temple? No problem, that's fine. And in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the grain offering. He will commit what Jesus called the abomination of desolation. He will tear up that treaty. And that doesn't surprise us because the devil is a liar and this is the devil's Superman. He is a liar. The devil, whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. Why? Because he speaks from his own nature. And so when the Jews are sacrificing, at one point, the Antichrist, maybe the very dedication of the temple, he'll say, hold it. If there's anyone you need to worship, it's me. I am the one. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. They're on the top of the Mount of Olives when they're asking him about his second coming. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of, not through the historian, but through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, Satan has always wanted to be like God. That was his sin that made him the devil, the devil. I want to be like the Most High. And so Satan's coming Superman will try to fulfill Satan's dream. There's going to be an unholy trinity during the time of the 70th week. And in the middle of the 70th week, Satan's dream will come to pass. Now, after the church is raptured, again, Israel has three and a half years to rebuild the temple. They could build it, start tomorrow maybe. I doubt it would happen tomorrow. But uh, what I'm saying is it could happen before the rapture of the church. But we know it will be completed and built by the middle of the 70th week because God literally fulfills all of his prophecies. So Daniel 11.36 says, This man will exalt and magnify himself above every god. So Paul said he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship. So the Antichrist will ultimately oppose every form of worship except the worship of himself. All of the deities, all of the shrines, all of the idols, all of the altars, all the images will take second place to him. But I also want you to see not only will he act in self-will, not only will he exalt himself, he will blaspheme the true God. He will blaspheme the one true God. Verse 36 says, then the king will do as he pleases and he will exalt and magnify himself above every God and he will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. So this man is a blasphemer without equal. And in Revelation 13, God amplifies in the statement. You might want to put in the margin next to this verse, Revelation 
13, verses 5 and 6. Let me read Revelation 13, 5. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Now, one of the most outstanding characteristics of the coming man of sin is his big mouth. He has outstanding skills, and he will utter great boasts, and in doing so, he will blaspheme God. I mean, you talk about an orator. You talk about a man who can capture audiences. It will be this coming man. He will indeed inflame people's passions. He will convince people. He will challenge their intellects by the things that he says. He will get people to believe that up is down and down is up, that black is white, that white is black. He'll get you to think that if you murder your own mother, you're doing God a service. And he will come with all kinds of deceptive means, signs, wonders, and miracles. But among other things, he's Mr. Big Mouth. And Jesus said, if possible, but it's not. He would deceive even the elect, even true believers. Revelation 13, 6 says, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell on the earth. Whenever he opens his mouth, the devil speaks, hell speaks. And as you read the scripture, you discover that blasphemy is done in three ways. Number one, it's when you say something evil about God, he'll do that. Number two, when you claim to be God, that's what they accuse Jesus of. Are you the son of God? I am. And Caiaphas tore his robes and he said he's blasphemed, but he wasn't. It was true. This man will claim to be God. He'll speak evil of God. And he will also, another form of blasphemy in the Bible is when you can claim to forgive sin, whereas only God can forgive sin. And we will see in Daniel and Revelation, this man will do all three. But here in verse 26... He will attribute evil to God himself because he will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. Now, if you remember from Daniel 7 and verse 25, he even tries to change God's moral laws. He'll try to make evil good. I had a young couple before me yesterday right here in this room who I was blessed to be able to watch be united in Christ. I said to them, you know, Abraham Lincoln once said, to a little boy, he said, if a dog has four legs and you call the tail a leg, how many legs does the dog have? The little boy said, well, he has five legs. He said, no, he still has four legs. You can call a tail whatever you want, but there's only four legs. And I reminded them, a man, Arnier, literally a man, will leave his father and mother and cleave to his gunikos, his wife, referring to a female, and the two will become one. You can call marriage whatever you want. You can call two men married. You can call two women married. You can call it whatever you want. The law can call it whatever you want, but it's not a marriage, not in God's eyes. But we will see that this man will come, and he will change moral laws in the promotion of sin because that's his chief aim, according to Daniel 7.25. He will be blasphemous in his speech and his behavior. He will, verse 36, prosper until the indignation is finished, for which is decreed will be done. Now, the Hebrew word indignation is used throughout the Scripture to refer to God's righteous anger. Let me give you an example, Isaiah 10. For in a very little while, God says, my indignation against you will be spent and my anger will be directed to their destruction. Same word is used later in the same book. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. There's coming the indignation. 
The wrath of God like this world has never, ever, ever seen or could never even imagine an unprecedented time in human history. Daniel 8, 19 describes it. He said, behold, I am coming to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And so the Jewish people will embrace a covenant with this man. But this man will tear up that covenant. And when the covenant is torn up in the middle of the 70th week, the tribulation period goes from tribulation to great tribulation, Jesus said. An unprecedented time, a horrible time to be alive, but God is going to use that time. You see, one of the functions of the tribulation period is not only to bring people who have never heard the name of Jesus in power and clarity, people who have never heard the gospel before to hear it for the first time, though most people will reject it, but one of the chief purposes of the tribulation is to bring the nation of Israel to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That's what Hosea the prophet wrote. God said, I will go away and return to my place. The Messiah came, but he went back to heaven to prepare a place for us. I will go away and return to my place until, until they, the Jewish people, acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. During the time of Jacob's trouble, the Jewish people will wake up and they will see Yeshua is the Messiah. That's one of the chief functions. Now, third, he will act in self-will. He will exalt himself. He will blaspheme the true God forth. But in addition to his royal pride, I want you to see his religious policy. Now we come to the religious policy of the Antichrist. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. Now, we're told in verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers. Now, some have assumed that the Antichrist must be a Jew, assuming that the gods of his fathers must be a reference to the God of Israel. Well, number one, it's plural and correctly interpreted and translated here. Now, there are many problems with that interpretation to say that this Antichrist is a Jew. Number one, the revelation makes it very clear that he is the beast out of the sea, symbolic of the Gentile nations of the world. Now, the false prophet, we will learn in the Revelation, comes out of the land, meaning the land of Israel. We saw already in the prophet Daniel several times that this coming man of sin will come out of a revived Roman Empire. Some people think, well, the Antichrist will present himself as Messiah. We don't know that. He may be a Messiah to some people, but there's nothing anywhere in Scripture that says he will come to the Jewish people and say, I am your Messiah. But he will offer them a covenant which they will buy into, no doubt, in order to be able to rebuild their temple. Second, if this expression, the God of his fathers, was in reference to a Jew, he wouldn't have used the word he would have used. He would have used, no doubt, as Daniel does throughout this book, the Yahweh of his fathers. Now, the word Elohim can certainly refer to the one true God as it does in the first opening verse of the Bible, but it is also used repeatedly of false gods. It could be a false Roman Catholic god or a false Protestant god or any other god, heathen god you could think of. Third, had he chosen to use the word Elohim as reference to the God of Israel, he no doubt would have used the phrase repeated throughout the Old Testament, the God of our fathers, not the God of his fathers. In either case, here is a man who is going to be different 
in his belief of how he views God, and we'll see how in just a moment. So there's, he'll ignore his religious heritage because it's going to be entirely different from anything we've ever seen. Number two, he will have no regard for the Messiah. He will have no regard for the Messiah of Israel. Again, in verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women. Please note what it does not say. It does not say that he will have no re- desire for women. This verse is now popularly being taught in the last 25 years to say the Antichrist is a homosexual. Makes really for colorful preaching, but it's not true. Not only does it not fit the context and the flow of the passage, neither does it fit the use of the word. He speaks here of the desire not for women, but of women. What does that Hebraism mean? Well, if you go back to the Essenes who gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can see them use this phrase. If you ask an Orthodox Jew today, and if you read many rabbinical commentaries today, what is the desire of women? They will tell you in a moment. Jewish Orthodox girls are taught from the time they are little that some precious little Israeli is going to give birth to the Messiah. That's the desire of every Hebrew girl, that she could possibly be the one who would carry the Messiah in her womb. But this man will come along. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women. That is to say, he'll have no regard for these who are looking forward to the Messiah, nor will he show regard for any other god. So understanding this phrase, as the ancient Jewish commentators do, it flows as a unit. Oh, it's possible the Antichrist could be a homosexual, but that's not what this text is saying. So as a part of his religious policy, this man of sin will demand the soul, will demand to be the sole object of worship. There it is in your outline. He'll demand to be the sole object of worship. Nor will he show any regard for any God, for he will magnify himself above them all, simply means that he will oppose all other religions. Now, initially, he comes as an ecumeniac. He wants to lead the ecumenical movement. But in the end, he becomes the ecumenical movement. There will be a one-world religion. One religion for one world will be his motto, and he will be the object of worship And that's why when you come to the Revelation, if you're a Jew who comes to embrace Jesus as Messiah or a Gentile who comes to embrace Jesus as Messiah, therefore you will refuse to take the mark of the beast and you'll have your head cut off. He'll magnify himself above them all. He will be Mr. Ego upon Ego. He'll want his name everywhere, right down to your body on your hand or on your forehead. The Revelation says, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, certainly the technology is in place where one man, through a number, could control the world. But remember, the imminent return of Christ has been taught since Pentecost. This could have happened in the first century if God dictated it without technology. In fact, God may not use technology. Certainly, he could implant a chip, as they do in animals, in certain uh, 
high-level people in the United States government. Maybe it's a tattoo. Tattoos are so popular in our day. Many of you have tattoos. Many of you wish you didn't have a tattoo, but what can you do? I baptize people every week. They got tattoos everywhere, on their toes, on their legs, everywhere. It's tattoo world, and wherever you go. In fact, the Orthodox are so distraught in Israel because you see more and more Israelis with tattoos, and they immediately know he's a total unbeliever. Now, I'm not ragging on anyone with tattoos. Everyone with a tattoo is welcomed here. Many have tattoos on their bodies, some that we can't see. That's okay. Use it as a reminder of what God has saved you from. Now, this is a sermon in itself, what God says about tattoos, but I'm not going there today. I don't have time for that. But Daniel wants you to know that this man is going to control the world. And the scripture is very clear. You will not be able to buy or sell anything apart from taking his number. Revelation 20 and verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. They had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So in addition to the royal pride of this man, I also, in the religious policy of this man, I want you to notice the real purpose of the Antichrist. Verse 38, but instead, here's his real purpose. But instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. Instead, or in the place of God that occupies most people's thinking, the Antichrist will honor a God of fortresses, a God of war. Who is this God of fortresses? Who is this God of war? The one that Jesus said came only to kill and to destroy and to steal. It was Satan who legitimately offered to Jesus the kingdoms of this world. And Satan had a right to make that offer. And the Antichrist will accept that offer and become the world dictator. And in order to take the world for himself as a man, he will need military power. But instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know, and he will honor him, meaning this God of fortresses, with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. Everything that was valuable, even to this day in many countries of the world, people will give some of their best to some false god they worship. They will give their gold, their silver, and their costly stones and treasures to their gods. But this man will give all of his monetary might to a god of fortresses to build a military machine. Verse 39, he will take action against the strongest of fortresses. With the help of a foreign god, he will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause him to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. So he'll attack the strongest of fortresses. There will be no world power, not even the strongest superpower you can think of, that will be able to rule over this man with the help of a foreign god, the devil himself. He will pull this off. Revelation 12 and verse 12 says, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. 
Listen, the first half will be a relative period of peace, but when the abomination of desolation takes place, Mr. Peace will become Mr. War. And it's in the middle of the 70th week that the devil comes down with his fallen angels. And if you're in heaven, it will be a great place. But if you're on the earth, it will be the worst place. Verse 39 says, He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for price. He is going to take the kingdoms of this world and then he will buy with his treasures people's allegiances. He will give them to rule over the many. He will parcel out land for a price that is for a reward. He'll divide the spoil in order to keep their loyalty. He will rule the world. Now that's the blasphemies of the Antichrist. Very quickly as we close, now the battles of the Antichrist in verses 40 to 45. This section opens up in verse 40 by telling you something first about the rivals of the Antichrist. Who are those who will be against him? They won't all be for him. Verse 40, at the end of time, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. Now, we've already studied the first half of the chapter, really the first 35 verses of the chapter. Remember the king of the south? Remember the king of the north? What's south of Israel? What country? Egypt, still called Egypt today, amazingly. What's north, directly north of Israel? Who is the king of the north? Remember, all directions in the scripture, north, south, east, or west, are given from Israel, which God views as the center of the world. Syria, to this day it's called Syria. And we saw in the first 35 verses how secular history records exactly what Daniel wrote and prophesied as having come true. And so on the end of time, these foes are going to come against Israel. And indeed, Egypt and Syria hate Israel. You read their constitutions, they want to drive Israel into the sea, they say. Those old rivals will come. Antiochus Epiphanes foreshadowed them, but they will come on the stage during the Great Tribulation period. Verse 40 says at the end time, he's referring to that final time in human history after the rapture of the church. Notice, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him. That is the king of Egypt and the king of Syria. They'll go against the Antichrist. How? With chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. Now, some argue that the Antichrist has disarmed the world powers of conventional weapons, maybe through some electronic, you know, spark that people warn us about that would break down all of the electronics in the world. I don't know it's possible, but I think what is more likely in light of what we will study in the Revelation is that since Daniel has no direct counterpart in his day to describe whether it's aircraft or or, 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 you know, F-35s or whatever it might be. He's using terminology to help the people understand what will take place in that day, that the Antichrist will have a variety of resources. He will come with chariots and horsemen and many ships. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll conclude our look at the coming Antichrist and see how Daniel's prophetic vision and the Antichrist could play out in a modern scenario. To listen again to this or any of the messages in our series from Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. And when you do, please consider supporting Search the Scriptures with a one-time or a sustaining gift. 
For more information, call 877-787-7478. Monday, the conclusion of the coming Antichrist. Join us then as we search the scriptures.